Well, you all can see that I've uh, had some work done here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Um, I love Ryan's comment. If you haven't noticed, uh, you should notice and, and see. And, and there's been a lot of work uh, just done even in these past, uh, this past week. Uh, the old stage has been torn down and totally removed from the building. It's in the trash, it's gone. In fact, SR was looking yesterday for some of those uh, stands that we have. Those are all gone. Um, you know, the, the carpet's been cut away. Two windows have been uh, knocked out, taken out, covered um, by, by drywall. New stage been roughed in. Uh, stairs have been fitted. Trim has begun to be put in place. Power lines, data lines have been put there. There's TV over there, TV over here. We're going to have a, a cross right here. The, the, the rock is coming up next week. So even on, on Monday, right, beginning tomorrow, the, the rock will, will come and we'll have uh, a mason here. He'll, he'll install the rock. He'll put the brick outside the, the window over there. Uh, construction of a new sound booth will start uh, next week. Um, your TVs will be installed. And, and, then, and then when the chairs come in, we'll be like another phase. We will take out all the carpet uh, remove all, all the pews. Uh, for any of you who want a pew, you're, you're welcome to one. Just talk with Brian to get your dibs on there. We'll, um, we'll install the new carpet. We'll install the carpet up here. We'll, we'll paint the walls. And so for those of you who are enjoying some coffee in the, the congregation right now, just know that um, those days might be limited a little bit as we have some nice furniture. I mean, we, it doesn't matter if you spill on this, all right? But it will matter in the future, at, at least for the for the upcoming near future, if, if you have that. So enjoy it while you can. But let me ask you, why do we do all this? Why, why do we have a new stage? Why, why do we why go into all the work and the expense to have a, to have a place? Like, is, it, is it comfortable for us? Is that why we do it? Is, is it just so we can have a nice place? Or do we do it so that God's work might progress? So that we're better poised to serve people with a a more inviting invitation, more inviting auditorium rather, so that when people come, right, they don't trip on the, on the carpet there right towards the back. It has to be taped down so that you don't trip coming in, so people don't notice the, the wrinkles and the stains or the rips in the, in the, uh, the pews or the, the colors of the pews. We make it so, so it's nice so that we can get about doing God's work at Rock Valley Bible Church. My message this morning is entitled, God's, the work of God. We're going to look at God's work. It comes from Romans 15, verses 14 to 21. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open there. Romans 15, 14 to, to 21. In these, in these verses, uh, these eight verses, we're going to see the work of God taking place. We're going to see it taking place in Rome. We'll see it taking place through Paul's ministry. We're going to see it take place even beyond Paul's ministry. So I want to read the text for you this morning. It reads like this. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. 
For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And you see with these words, Paul's missionary heart begins to beat through in the, in the, the epistle to the Romans, because he begins to address his mission and his whole purpose for writing. We will say that more strongly next week when we get to verse 22 and following. But he has a heart to see the gospel spread long and far, further than ever before. And he wants to see that the work of God extends far into the world. But that's not where he begins. What he begins here is looking at the work of God in Rome. It's my first point here this morning. God's work in Rome. So verses 14 and 15 talk about... You see, when Paul thinks about the church in Rome, he, he's delighted, he is, he is thrilled, he's, he's encouraged. When he thinks about the church in Rome, a smile comes to his face. He says in 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of, of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Paul knows something about the church in Rome. He, he knows of their morality, that they're good people of their understanding that they are filled with all knowledge, of their ability that they can instruct one another in the ways of the Lord. And when I think about these characteristics, I think about how they are characteristic of Rock Valley Bible Church. I mean, you're filled with goodness. Now, I'm not saying you're righteous. I'm not saying you're sinless or perfectly righteous. But if Paul, who wrote Romans 3, that said that all of us are are sinful, and none of us are righteous, and none of us does good, not even one. If Paul could write that and yet say of the Romans that you're filled with all goodness, then I'd say that you all are filled with goodness as well. Uh, I can say that about you because God's grace has transformed many of you. That you're no longer living the ways of the world, but you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? You're seeking the Lord's ways and, and filled with goodness in that way. I've seen the way that you care for one another. I see the way that you sacrifice for one another, that you, you meet others' needs. I see and have experienced your kindness to me as a pastor, and I'm thankful for that. You are filled with goodness. When, when I think about Rock Valley Bible Church, I can say you're filled with all knowledge. The knowledge that you all have of the Scriptures is, is encouraging to me as well. The, the way you talk, the way you interact with the Scriptures in our, in our small groups. And I hear how the scriptures have impacted you, the books that you're reading, the, the podcasts you're listening to, the sermons you're listening to at Rock Valley Bible Church. In general, you know the Bible very well. At, at various times, interesting, at various times I've been pushed by others at, at church here to say, we need a Sunday school. Steve, we need a Sunday school. Right? Let, let's meet at nine o'clock for a Sunday school. And, um, and my response is always this. Uh, I, I say, do the people at Rock Valley Bible Church need more knowledge? Or do the people at Rock Valley Bible Church need more praying? And, and I've pushed hard to preserve that 9 o'clock prayer time just because without question, I think we need to pray more than we need to know more. Like, well, like where is, is our weakness? And, and that's why we try to make 9 o'clock in the morning easy for you to come. It's just one hour. It's not an extra trip. It's not an extra travel. 9 o'clock. So I invite you to, to come and pray. We don't need a Sunday school. 
We have enough knowledge. We're filled with knowledge. When I think about Rock Valley Bible Church, I can say you're able to instruct one another. I mean, it's, it's encouraging to me the number of men that we have who are capable and able to preach on Sunday morning. And, and I know pastors in their congregation don't have any other guys in their congregation able to stand and preach on a Sunday morning. It puts a big burden on them. puts a burden on the church as well. Now, in some ways, really, that goes back to my philosophy of what preaching is. It's simply reading the Bible, explaining the Bible, and then doing everything you can to apply the Bible. That's really all, all that it is. It's not some magical sort of thing, and I trust you see week in, week out. I simply read the text, I explain the text, and I try to apply the text back and forth, in and out. That's what I try to do. And so we... We do have people who are able to instruct one another. But Paul's encouragement here goes beyond just preaching. I mean, it, it goes, that's not the only time you can instruct one another. It goes to after service. When you're seeing people, when you're talking with people, it goes to the small groups when you're interacting around the scriptures, around the, the sermon that was, was just spoken. Or, or, or it involves coffee at, at Starbucks. You can instruct one another there. You can instruct one another in your families, in family worship. Or, or with a phone call, or an email, or a text. What Paul's getting at here is an attitude or a culture that, that just we're, we're admonishing and encouraging and instructing one another all the time. And that happens at Rock Valley Bible Church to one degree or another. I just encourage you to see it happen more. And so I see Rock Valley Bible Church described in verse 14. It fills my heart with joy. And then Paul goes on to talk about the, the work of God in Rome. <clears throat> he says, on some points... I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. Now, Paul is referring here when he says that I have written, he's, right, he's referring to Romans 1 through 15. Um, everything that he's written up to then because those are the chapters that he, have, he has written. It's difficult to know. Like, what exactly is Paul talking about to say that I have written some things to you with boldness? I've been very bold. And, and so I think that, well, it just, what has he written? He's written about sin. Chapters 1 through 3, and has he been bold about sin? He sure has. When he, he says basically all of us are under sin, he speaks about the Gentiles, who God's wrath is revealed against Gentiles, against those who suppress the knowledge of God, say there is no God. God's wrath is upon those who, who are unbelieving. He's upon the Jews who, who know everything <clears throat> but aren't obeying it. Warning to a church that's filled with all knowledge. Here are the Jews that that know all things. And Paul says, we all are under condemnation. Was he bold in proclaiming about sin? Yeah. What what else does he talk about in Romans? Sin, and the next word is what? Salvation. Was he he bold about salvation? When he talks about the righteousness of God that's repaired, that's, that's in Jesus, that's not in our works, not in the things that we do? Was he bold about that? Was he bold in Romans chapter 5? He says, when Adam sinned, we all sinned and were condemned in Adam's sin. Was he bold about that? People don't like that today. People don't like the fact that I'm held responsible for someone else's sin. But that's what Romans 5 verse 12 speaks about. But that's the glories of salvation. That just I'm responsible for Adam's sin. What he did, that's my head. So also, I get what Christ did for me in my place. It's imputation. It's a wonderful thing. It's salvation. But it's, it's hard that it's by grace totally alone. It's not what we do. We, we want to we make it something we do. Or what about the next thing? He talked about sin, salvation. What else did he talk about in Romans? 
Sanctification, right? Chapter 6 and 7. Was he bold there? He sure was when he talked about how we ought to be dead to sin. How we should not let sin reign in our mortal bodies at all. How we should be servants of righteousness. Right? I mean, he, he lifts the bar of, of sanctification like sky high. Is he bold about that? Demanding obedience from the Romans? He certainly was. Yet even, he says, the struggle is very real in chapter 7. He talked about sin and salvation and sanctification. And in chapter 8, he talks about, help me, security. He talks about how secure we are. That we're secure in the work of Christ. We're secure in the love of Christ. That the Spirit helps us and that Christ is for us. That nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just boldly saying that we're secure in Christ. In chapter 9 through 11, he speaks about the sovereignty of God. That God's word has not failed But God has mercy on whom he has mercy, and he hardens whomever he hardens. That salvation ultimately is dependent upon the Lord and not upon us. And is that bold to preach that? It sure is. Remember when I preached through that, several families left our church because they didn't like that preaching. That's what Paul preached about the sovereignty of God. Or chapters 12 through 15, he's talking about our service to the Lord. And certainly he was bold there. He's calling us to have our bodies be living sacrifices, completely devoted to the Lord. Having our love for one another be entirely genuine, not, not passing judgment upon others, but welcoming others, even those who see things a little bit differently than we do. Paul was bold in talking about these things. And yet, as Paul says in verse 15, he says, I've preached these things very boldly, he says, by way of reminder, it gets back to verse 14 because they're well taught in Rome and, and these things are merely a, a reminder of them. They were filled with all knowledge and able to instruct others. So they knew these things because he just merely brought them up by, by way of reminder. So to the Romans, they were no surprise because of the work that God had done in Rome and to, to a mature church, they're not a surprise either. And I'm thankful what the Lord has done at Rock Valley Bible Church, creating a, a mature church where the strong are bearing with the weak, where the gospel of grace is flourishing. And none of this in, in Romans has really been new to you. Just really the challenge is this, are you going to apply it? That's the difficulty of Romans. Well, let's move on. Point number one, God's work in Rome. Point number two, God's work through Paul. And that comes in verses 16 through 19. God's work through Paul really begins the last part of verse 15. He says, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In these verses, Paul's describing his ministry. It was given to him by the Lord. He didn't seek it. It was given to him. And if you know Paul's story, you, you know how true this is because Paul was a zealous Jew who was persecuting the church of God. He was a, a devout Pharisee who hated the followers of Jesus and wanted nothing more but to bind them, put them in jail, and, and see them accused of blasphemy and even stoned to death for their blasphemy. In fact, if you remember the story of Stephen told in Acts chapter 7, which part of it was read by Gary for us today. Didn't get to the, the good part yet when, when Stephen really is bold against him. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
But they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as ordained by angels and did not keep it. And they picked up stones and they, they gnarled their teeth at him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And Paul, it says in Acts 7, verse 58, now the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul, everything, saw everything going on as a young man. Loved what was happening because we're killing that blasphemer, quote unquote. We're persecuting the church and he loved it. But God showed him grace. And in Acts 9, you can read the story about the road to Damascus when Paul was given letters by the, um, by the synagogues to the, the church to, to go to uh, the synagogues in Damascus and, and be able to find there, right, the Christians maybe who are worshiping in the synagogues or, or maybe in their own places. And he had permission, authority to bring any follower, man or woman, bound to Jerusalem for trial. And as Paul, who was known by Saul, was on the way to Damascus, a light shone from heaven, and, and the voice of Jesus came down, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, and why are you persecuting my church? And he, he was struck to his knees, and a, the bright light blinded him. And then the voice continued, Acts 9, verse 6 and 7, rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Then they went to Damascus and waited. Paul neither ate nor drank for three days as he waited. And it says in Acts 9 that he prayed. And there was a man, God, the Lord appeared to a man named Ananias. And the Lord visited him and told him about Paul. And the Lord said to Ananias, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So go and tell them. And so Ananias rose and told them these things, that you're a chosen instrument of God, and you will carry my name, the name of Jesus, to out the Gentiles. You'll stand before kings and the children of Israel. So as Paul heard that, he arose a believer in Jesus and was baptized and began to proclaim to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. His life was forever changed. And that's what it says here in verse 16, that he was a, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That, that was his aim. That's what he saw. He says, I'm, I'm a minister. God gave me this grace to be a minister to go to the Gentiles. And, and God really anointed him to be the, the catalyst for the gospel to spread to the Gentiles. Peter is the one that opened the door for the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. But Paul is the one that, that really rushed people through that door or, or, or saw people come through that door, if you will. I mean, the book of Acts describes his missionary journeys. He took three of them, long and far, deep into the world of the Gentiles. He saw many Gentiles converted to Christ. He saw a revival breakout city in Antioch where Gentiles flocked to hear him preach like the whole city arrived at the synagogue to hear him preach about this Jesus. Paul saw churches began in towns like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. He planted a church in Corinth and sometimes he planted a church and leave on and go and then come back and visit them. In Corinth, he planted a church, stayed for 18 months, teaching those who've been converted to Christ to build them a strong church, to whom he wrote 1st 2nd Corinthians. He planted a church in Ephesus and remained there for three years, instructing the disciples. And that church flourished. That's what Ephesians is named after. And verse 16 describes how Paul saw the work. He said that this grace was given to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable 
sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And he uses this Old Testament imagery of a priest that Paul saw himself as one who's coming before the Lord with, with Gentiles in hand, bringing them into the presence of the Lord and, and if you will, sort of offering them up as acceptable to the Lord. And, and indeed, the Gentiles who believed were and, and they weren't sacrificed, of course, but that's the imagery that, that he's going to go, just like he'd take an animal and bring him before the altar. He, he's going to these Gentiles, he's gathering them together and bringing them to God. And Paul brought many to the Lord this way. He gives his perspective in verse 17. He says this, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. As Paul wrote the book of Romans, he took pride in his gospel ministry. Kind of, he, I mean, you hear some of these things, like, you're filled with goodness? Like, how, how can, we're sinful, right? But here's Paul taking pride in his ministry. He said, pride, that's all bad. That, how's he doing that? Well, the other verses balance it off, particularly verse 18 and verse 15 and 16. I mean, he, he saw himself, grace was given to him to serve, and he, and he knew himself that it, God had uniquely placed him in this key place at this key time for the spread of the gospel. That, that he was able to boast because he knew how mighty the, the Lord was to use him. And he could tell others of the mighty work that God did through his hands. And Paul knew really it was, that it was the Lord working through him. That's how he could be proud for his work or boast about it. Verse 18, he says this, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished to, through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And that's why my second point says this, God's work through Paul. Because yes, Paul might, might boast of this or be proud of it, but, but he's only proud of that, that God worked through him and that, that is clearly him. And, and Paul knew that he was powerless apart from the grace of God in his life, so his pride in his work was really the, the boasting in God that God would transform him to change him to, to do that with such a one as, as him. And, and I love the way that Paul brought this similar balance of, of his work and yet, really, God's work overshadowing that and working through him. First Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10, Paul says this. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. There's his humility. He says, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He said, but, First Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God I am what I am. And that his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them. That was not I, but it was the grace of God that was in me. Paul said it was God's grace that called me as an apostle because he did everything in his power to stop the church. He, he did everything in his power to resist the Lord, and yet God's grace came into his life and completely transformed him. He worked and labored hard for the gospel. The, the very thing that he had torn down, he was now building up. And of his effort, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, that he worked harder than any of the apostles. You name an apostle, and Paul worked harder. That's working harder than Peter. That's working harder than Andrew, or James, or John, or Philip, or Bartholomew, or Thaddeus, or Simon. Worked harder than all of them. And yet... Paul said that, that his labor, it wasn't him, it was the grace of God working in him. Verse Corinthians 15, 10, though it was not I who labored, but it was the grace of God within me. And uh, that's the same thought that Paul has here in verses 17 and, and 18. Right? Verse 17, he's proud of his work. But 
his work. He's only going to only speak of what Christ has accomplished through him. And in verse 19, we see the, the mighty things that God did through him, both by word and by deed, both by what he said and by what, what he did. He said, verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And with these words, Paul really speaks about the, 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 the breadth of his ministry and the power of his ministry. His ministry was powerful. The power of his ministry is the power of the Spirit in, in signs and wonders. He's talking about miracles here. He's talking about those things that can only be explained by the power of the Spirit. And, and Paul was empowered by the Spirit to do miraculous things. And the book of Acts records a few of them. In Lystra, there was a man who was crippled from birth, never walked before. And Paul said to him with a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And the miracle was so miraculous that, that the people of that town um, just really thought that he was, he was a god. And so they came and they, they worshipped him. Such was his miracle. In Philippi, he commanded a demon to come out of a slave girl. And it came out the very hour that he commanded to come out. He had power to exercise demons. He had power to heal people. And listen to the summary of the, the power of the spirit that was with the Apostle Paul in Acts nineteen eleven through 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. That's amazing power that, God, that Paul had in his ministry. And these are the sorts of things that he was doing in his ministry. It's really pioneering work in the gospel, I, I believe. Here's the issue. The pioneering work in the gospel is being conformed was being confirmed by the miraculous works. You know, and I've got a taste of this. Seems similar sorts of things in my trips to Nepal and India. People who are sick or demon-possessed um, look to the Hindu doctors, the, the Hindu holy men, if you will, and they, they say, oh, whatever, there's some kind of sickness or some kind of hardship or some kind of sore, whatever. And they go to the holy man and they ask and they ask and they ask. And the holy man just says, oh, go give me this chicken. <laughs> give me this, I'll pray for you. Give me this. And they spend all their money. And then, and then they're not healed yet. And so what do they do? They turn to the Christians. And, and the Christians pray for them. And they're healed. That that the witch doctors never could do. The Christians pray. And they're healed. And they come to faith in Jesus. And, and these stories are common. I've heard many testimonies when I've traveled to India and Nepal about this. These, these people who, are, who, who can't find help any other place. And then they come. I remember the story of a, of a pastor in a, a small town. There was a, a drunkard, demon-possessed, wild kind of man. And uh, he couldn't be controlled by anybody. And then they asked the pastor, this Christian pastor coming in. There's one a Christian in, in the whole village. They said, why don't you come? And he comes and he prays for him. And, and the man is healed. Stops his alcoholism, demon out of him. And um, then they're like, oh, no, he hasn't changed. And the pastor took him to his home for six months. He's changed. He's a changed man. Just that's the sort of thing that you, you see um, Christians' testimony of in the Far East. And these aren't charismatic brothers or sisters. These are Baptists and Presbyterians. They're not obsessed by miracles. They, they know they aren't common, but they've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And I think the issue here is that the, when the gospel goes to a new place, confirming power of 
the, the hope in Jesus through the gospel. And that's what we see the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He's doing pioneering work. Pioneering work. Those who've never heard before see it and embrace it. And the Holy Spirit's active in conforming, confirming the power of the gospel with signs and wonders. That's it's rare, right? It doesn't happen. But, but I believe in the power of God enough to see that, that Paul does that. Paul's ministry was not only powerful, it was, it was broad. His ministry went far and wide. Look, look at verse 19. He said, by the, the powers of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. In the ancient world, this is a long ways. Going from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Like if you look, look in the back of your Bibles, maybe you'll find a map. You'll find Jerusalem way on the, way on the right-hand side, right? South, east. Southeast? Yeah, that's, that's east. Way, way on that side, kind of where, where everything arose. And all his missionary journeys went, went up north and, and west and, and all over the, the Roman ancient world at that time. And, he, and he, he took one ministry, one missionary journey, and he took another missionary journey, he took a, another missionary journey, he just kind of like broadened it and got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And he went to places like Ephesus, and he went to places like Corinth and Athens and Thessalonica, and all the ways that he, he just, just journeyed on. And, and if you see a map of his journey, you just see how, how broad his, his ministry really is. He says, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum. And if you know the geography well, that's, that's past Greece and then, and then on up, even past up to Illyricum, which is modern day Albania uh, right now. He's it ministered all that region. And he considered his ministry finished really in, in those reasons, he said in verse 19 that I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He said, like, I don't have any other place to go because I, I fulfilled it here. Now, it certainly doesn't mean that he knew everybody or, or saw everybody come to Jesus, not, not at all. But he wanted to go on and, and he, went, he wanted to go to Rome, which was beyond Illyricum for the first time. And then he wanted to go from there to Spain, which we'll talk about next week. But he talks about this a little bit in verse 20 about how he is, his ministry was broad. And he says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. This really leads us to my last point this morning. Is this is God's work to the unreached. We've seen God's work in Rome, God's work through Paul, and now God's work to the unreached is what he's talking about here. And Paul was a pioneer missionary. God called him to go, right, where nobody had gone before. Isn't that close to Star Trek or something, right? To, to go beyond or maybe, is that right? I'm like not a Star Trek guy at all. But to, to go like way beyond or maybe, um, okay, whatever you're saying, right? Whatever. Or the Woody's friend. What's Woody's friend's name? Buzz Lightyear, right? To infinity and beyond, right? This is what Paul's call was. A missionary to, to go where, where nobody had gone before. That's why he's called the apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, the Jews were in Jerusalem. They're scattered over the world, but they always, they always came back to Jerusalem a couple times a year. But this is like those who never came to Jerusalem, right? Those who never knew anything about the work of God. And that's where he went out. That's why he called himself an apostle to the Gentiles. It's, it's what he, he understood to bring the gospel to the world. And, and Paul's passion heart was this. He says, I want to preach Christ where Christ has never been named before. Chapter, verse 21, he says, 
But as is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That verse, Isaiah 52, verse 15. The very next verse, you know what the next verse is? It's Isaiah 53, verse 1 that we looked at last weekend as we looked at a Good Friday service, right, going through the the passage which speaks about the crucifixion and on Sunday morning even the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the Messiah being prophesied. Isaiah 53 prophesies of the the crucifixion and the the resurrection of Christ. And and, and even before telling of that, it says here in verse 21, which is the verse before that, that the people have never been told are going to hear and see and believe. And Paul wanted so forth so much to go forth and tell people who had never heard before of Jesus the resurrection and the crucifixion of Christ in reverse order, I guess. But he wanted to see God's work expand even to the unreached, to fulfill the great commission which which Paul, which Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew twenty eight. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus calls us to go out and to preach the gospel to all nations and make disciples of them. That's why we have a church at Rock Valley Bible Church, because someone has done that. For us, this came from Jerusalem, and just over the years and over the centuries, and as the pilgrims landed in uh, the New World, the Indians were, were evangelized, and things spread out. And we have the gospel here because of people following the Great Commission. Now, it's easy for us just to think that, oh, this is only the Apostle Paul, right? Only Apostle Paul could go and preach this way. It's easy also for us to think this only for for missionaries today who travel deep into Asia or deep into Africa to bring the gospel to those who haven't heard or to Papua New Guinea or some remote tribal, pri- some remote tribal, whatever, people. But you know what? There are many here in America who've never heard the gospel before. I, I think about uh, a couple weeks ago, Louis Dooley was here. I was really struck by his testimony. He was, I'm not sure if some of you have read his book. I'm kind of about halfway through it. But uh, he was in jail for attempted murder. And he went in that first night and someone, a Christian, by kindness, gave him some things. Gave him some, whatever, toiletries, some chips and things like that. And he's like, oh, I got to protect myself here in jail. Right? If someone's going to give that to me, then I got, I got to fight back. He's ready to go and kill the guy. Just lest he be, whatever, dependent upon someone else. And then he went into the, he went into the cell there, and uh, they were praying. They are reading the Bible. It's kind of like, hey, dude, how you doing? <laughs> and then he was given a, a tract. And, and he said he heard the gospel for the first time in jail. And believed the first time. Now his, I think whatever, his mom or his grandmother was somewhat Catholic, religious, whatever. But he'd never heard the gospel before. First time he heard it, he believed it. Uh, I just uh, heard a podcast recently when one of my friends in seminary, um, he was sharing his testimony about his life in college and his college ministry. And uh, he said that he went off to college and 
I, I didn't know this uh, about him, but he said he'd never heard the gospel before until he got to college. He said, maybe I heard it before, but I didn't understand it, which might be the case. But he said when he was in college, it's the first time someone came up to him and said, you're a sinner and you need a savior. You need to repent from your sins and follow Jesus. He'd never heard that before. The first time he heard it, he believed. I, I got a call. I've, I've told you this before. It was about five years ago, eight years ago. I can't remember. From someone from my alma mater, Knox College, and called me about giving to the college. And uh, I didn't learn a lot about Christianity at Knox College. In fact, had a basketball coach who clearly said, we tried to pull you away from the faith. Steve, don't you remember that? I'm like, yeah, I remember that. A lot of, a lot of hard times and difficulties. But she was asking me about my experience, and I, I told her, and I told her how I went to seminary and, and, and gave a testimony. I said, you know, I've grown up in church my whole life. And then it was when I went and heard a, a pastor preach on Matthew 7 that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I said, I've never heard that before. And it was amazing to me that I, I thought people, I thought anyone who said Jesus or professed to follow Jesus was okay. But I realized that, that not. There are many who profess to follow Jesus really aren't. And God at that point really changed my life to be one who wants to seek and pursue after him. And uh, the gal on, on the other end um, really kind of said, well, who's Jesus? And what you talk, what's the Sermon on the Mount? And I said, the Sermon on the Mount only is the most famous sermon ever preached by the most famous man that ever walked the planet. I encourage her to read it. But there, there Knox College, my alma mater, there was someone there, never heard of the Sermon on the Mount before, surely had never heard the gospel before. And I would contend this, that you don't have to go very far to find people today who haven't heard the gospel before. They may be next door to you. They may be in your next cubicle. They may be at the restaurant or at the store, at the gym or at the school. They may be on the, the playground or in the mall or at the dentist or at the ball game. Well, you don't know. But I just say this. Do you, do you want God to work through you? You want God to work through you? And be like Paul and be bold and to speak to others. You want, you want to have a heart to have God's work go to the unreached? I mean, we, you think about that. Oh, yeah, we just need to give money to all well, these people who are going way out there. Well, yeah, that's good. But there are lots of people all around us who are very unreached with the gospel. And I think especially this, right? The weather's starting to turn. Well, I think it's going to start to turn. I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but the weather's turning. And um, that means that people are coming out of their hibernation. Like I saw our neighbor coming out of her hibernation recently, and I used that term. I said, welcome, neighbors. Um, good to see you. You're, you've come out of hibernation, and I've come out of my hibernation too. How was your winter? And uh, just talked about, about things. And um, she knows I'm a pastor, and so some spiritual things came up, but those are just seeds being sown, seeds being sown. And just encourage it. When you see your neighbor out in the warmth, it may be, that they've never heard the gospel before. Maybe I challenge you. See if they have heard the gospel before. That'd be an interesting question, huh? Have you heard the good news before? Have you heard the gospel before? Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Well, what is it? Oh, you just need to be a good person. <laughs> I don't think so. They haven't heard it. The gospel isn't that we're good enough. Uh, the gospel is we're bad, but Christ has come and, and done all for us. 
just really encourage you. You don't need to go far and wide to find people who have not heard the gospel. And then we can see verse 21 being fulfilled in verse 20, right? That, that we can preach the gospel, not where Christ is named, right? Where, where people know even all the opportunities people have today. People don't miss it. They don't understand it. So as the weather turns, just really pray about opportunities outside, around your neighborhood, wherever you are on your walk. As I close up, I, I just want to think about the work here done in our auditorium. We've got the new stage up here. It's a, picture, it's a perfect picture of our ministry. We've done some work, but there's more work to do. And isn't that not where, where we all are, right? We, we've done some work. God has worked through us in some ways, but there's still more work to do. And that's what Paul says. He, he says he, he's worked through me uh, among you. He's worked for me right, to make me minister to the, the Gentiles. So all the stuff I've done by God's grace and his power, but there's still more for me to do. I want to go to the unreached. And so likewise, I just encourage you to see that's a picture of your life, that, that there's a stage that's been roughed in in your life. There's some ministry, some work that you've done and seen in your life, but, but there's still more to do. I just would pray that you might see what there is to do and might be eager to preach the gospel. And it, doesn't that come out here about, about Paul's ambition in verse 20? I make it my ambition to, to preach the gospel. This is really the heart of Romans. We, we've been talking about the gospel for three years now. Do you have an urgency to, to preach it? Do you have an ambition then to preach the gospel? Let me just pray for us. Father, I would pray that you would give us this ambition as, as Paul had. God, to, to speak with others who are apart from Jesus and who, who need Jesus desperately. Father, I, I pray in your grace, so oh God, that you would um, give us opportunities Give us eyes to see those opportunities and give us the boldness to walk into those opportunities to speak with people who need to hear about Jesus. God, He is our our life and our our grace and He is our everything. As we can sit here today and realize that we are sinners, yes, that we need salvation. It only comes through, through faith, by grace through faith in Christ who died in our place as our as our substitute. And that by believing that, we'll transform our lives to give us a heart and passion to follow after you. We thank you that we're secure in you, that you are sovereign in our lives, and yet you create us for service and work. And so God would pray that by, by your grace, God, we would see the, the work of God, God work through our lives, just like it did the Apostle Paul. So I, I pray, God, that we would have a, a heart for those around us. Give us courage to speak. I pray you'd grant faith to those who hear even it says in Isaiah 52, verse 15, that those who haven't heard will hear and believe. Those who haven't seen will see and understand. And they'll embrace Jesus, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. And what good news that is, that the iniquity doesn't fall on us, but it falls on another. And in that, O oh God, we do rejoice. God bless us in this place. I, pr- I pray even you'd You'd help us just in the, uh, the next stage of construction here, that next week this will look different. And we pray that this will be all be used for your work in your place here in Loves Park, Rockford area for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.